Communion is an ordinance that was given by Jesus during the Last Supper. How many are familiar with the words Last Supper? Would you raise your hand? It's also sometimes called the Lord's Table. How many have ever heard that? Lord's Table, yes, because it began over 2,000 years ago with Jesus and his disciples at that table where they met together to take part in the Passover. And uh, the Passover was very special. You will not understand communion unless you are in understanding of the culture that took place in the Old Testament dealing with the Jewish people. And not just that, but um, the biblical history that's involved there. It's important. I'm afraid that there's too many Christians that really don't understand communion. They think they do. They have somewhat of an understanding, but there's not a clear understanding. And so I felt very compelled to take some time to talk to you about looking at communion God's way. Not your way, not my way, not some denominational way, but God's way. And so in order for us to do that, we need to look back at some things to better understand. Communion was originally celebrated by God's people uh, during that time in the book of Exodus when the plagues of Egypt were taking place. And that last plague was the plague that changed everything for the children of Israel. And so during that time, it was made very clear to the children of Israel that there is a requirement. And that requirement is this. You will take a lamb without spot or blemish. And you're going to kill that lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost. Now for some of you, that's just review. For others, this might be new. And when you do that, you're having faith that me, your God, is going to see the blood, the sacrifice that was made, and I will pass over, hence Passover, that location, that home, that family, and your firstborn will be spared. Is everybody with me? So they put their faith and trust in the words of God, and they did so. And so by doing so, that began what's called the Passover. From there on out, the children of Israel would have a time, a feast, where they would take part of what's called the Passover feast or dinner. And they would eat of specific items that would remind them of what took place all those years prior with their forefathers. In the time that they were in bondage in, in Egypt, just before they were set free. And so all of that comes together, and now we see Jesus continuing this beautiful, not just tradition, but commandment by God with his disciples. And then something happens. Jesus, he changes everything. And this is just before his crucifixion. And so he's meeting with his disciples in an upper room, as the Bible refers to it. And they're gathering together for the Passover, the take of this food to reminisce and remember what God did for the children of Israel all the way back in Egypt. And as they begin to take of this, Jesus brings forth a new testament. Also, it's called a new covenant. That was the old covenant. I'm the new covenant. And then he begins to break it down to explain to them what that means. So Jesus uses what we refer to as the Last Supper because it was the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples to introduce a new meaning to the Passover. So he instituted the new covenant, an ordinance, if you would, 
an ordinance for the church. The new covenant is a promise from God. And that is to forgive us of our sins, restore that fellowship with, with uh, a pure heart if we're willing to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. He said, by doing so, you'll have a new life, a new covenant. That means there's a promise that you will not die and be condemned to hell. Just as the death angel passed over that home all the way back in Egypt because it saw the blood. When, when my father sees the blood, the sacrificial lamb, which is Jesus, he will pass over and you will not be condemned to hell. Is everybody with me? Yep. It's a beautiful but almost disturbing picture, right? There's some things in scripture when I read it, I think, why? Why? But there was a meaning behind everything that Jesus and the Heavenly Father did. There was purpose. And so, with that being said, uh, it's not traditionally, it's not religiously, it's biblically done. Set aside religion. Set aside denomination. What does God's Word say about communion? If it's not in the book, if it's not in God's Word, then it means nothing to me. Tradition is beautiful and it's great in its place. But when it bypasses literal scripture, then we need to bypass it. Y'all follow me? Over time, denominations and religions can add to truth. And they create traditions that they hold to as if it is biblical. We are biblicists above all. That means if it's not in God's word, we're not going to do it. We're not. I am also a firm believer when speaking God's word, I love to do it in such a way that we follow along scripture and we go verse by verse. Um, it's called expository preaching. I like going from this verse to the next verse to the next verse and having my conclusion in my last verse. It don't always go that way and sometimes we have topical preaching. Today, I'm going to be very expository. I want to go verse by verse, but we're going to shake it up a little bit because in this specific passage of Scripture, looking at this ordinance, which is the Lord's Supper, uh, we look at the first point, which is actually like my third, fourth verse, and then we back up and we go to the first verse and we just kind of move around in this specific passage of Scripture. Is everybody following me? Everybody with me? So I want you to learn. I, I feel like if we come to church and we just hear somebody's opinion, I don't feel like this, I know this is to be true, then we have wasted our time. So we want to learn from God's Word. So let's learn together because as we study God's Word, I think if we miss what God is trying to tell us, then we've wasted our time gathering together. I believe, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is the writings of Paul to the church, we can have a clear picture of what communion is all about and what it was meant for. Now watch. Paul, over and over again throughout Scripture, addresses through his letters the church when there's issues. I'm sure he was exhausted. I would be exhausted if I always had to deal with church issues constantly. We're a church plant. We don't have a whole lot of issues. But as long as there's human beings going to any church, there's going to be issues. Paul was a missionary. He was an evangelist. He would perform in some ways as a pastor, not literally at one specific location, but with a pastoral insight, he would speak into the church. And that's what he's doing right here. He found an issue within the church when it came to communion, and he's correcting the issue, and he's helping them understand how to look at communion God's way and not their way. And so that's where we're at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
And so well, this is what the Bible reads. Verse 11, uh, chapter 11, the Bible says this. And let's look down in verse 24. And when he, being Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it. And now Paul's telling the church how Jesus performed communion, the Last Supper. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And then in verse 25, after the same manner, he's showing the steps that Jesus took with the disciples. And Paul is explaining it to the church. After the same manner, also, he took the cup, which is the juice, the wine. And when he had supped in saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now watch. When he explains this, he explains that it's the New Testament, it's the New Covenant. He said, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of of me. Now, he breaks it down. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, which is the juice, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. It's a beautiful picture you're illustrating through this outward act of an ordinance called the Lord's Supper, or as we refer to it as communion. I believe in this passage of scripture in chapter 11, it's broken down in three ways. When we look at communion and looking at communion God's word way, we see it like this. Watch. We're looking inward, we're looking backward, and we're looking forward. All of that is found in this passage of scripture. That's how we are to look at communion God's way. So each of these will teach us how to look at communion God's way. And it starts in verse 27. Okay, we see in verse 27 that we're to look inward. Wherefore, verse 27, wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man, a woman, a child, whoever it may be, examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So this is the inward. Now focus, don't lose me here, because this is important before we take of the Lord's Supper. Let's be very clear. On the context of this passage of Scripture, the communion of the New Testament church was practicing in such a way that was not correct according to God's teaching. Or excuse me, Jesus. No, this is what would happen. Paul wrote chapter 11 to address the church and say there's some issues going on. And they need to be fixed. This is the way we were meant to do communion. And he explained how to do it and how the way Jesus did it with his disciples. And then he starts to confront them in verse 22. If you back up in verse 22 and verse 23. He starts to confront them on the issue that they've been having in the church. Everything was messed up. So what was happening is when they would have communion, they would come together as a church and it would be a feast. It was often called the agape feast, the love feast, which sounds odd, but it was a feast they'd come together because they would love one another, they would uh, uh, communicate with one another, fellowship would be a better word, and they would spend this time together, feasting together. Mingled within that feast was communion, the elements of communion. They, they would spend that time feasting, fellowshipping, and, uh, and taking part of communion. Well, the rich were coming with baskets full of food, because they were wealthy, lots of snackage, and they were drinking and getting drunk, and the poor would come, and the slaves would come, and they would take part of the communion, but there was nothing left for them. 
This is one of those few times in their life that they would enjoy a really great meal. But the rich were consuming all the foods and hoarding them to themselves. And so there was a lot of friction in the church. It wasn't just a potluck. It was not just a meal. It was a feast, a big, beautiful feast. But it turned into something that was completely contrary to what God intended for communion to be. And so Paul says, this has got to stop. For a matter of fact, Paul says, I do not praise you for what you're doing. You want an applause for taking communion? Well, I can't do that because you're doing it all wrong. There's an issue here. And so what's happening within our modern day churches, there's an issue. We distorted what communion is all about and we have changed the true meaning. And so Paul says, just like he did back then, today we need to focus properly on the way communion was meant to be. And so he starts off with the focus of being inwardly focused. And the reason he does that is because he said, you have to stop and examine yourself. Look deep within yourself. He uses the word examine. Look within yourself to make sure you are right with God and you're doing it for the right reasons. If, if you've been a part of a church and they just go through the motions and it's all tradition and it doesn't make any sense because it's contrary to Scripture and they have a pattern which is contrary to the pattern Jesus laid before the disciples, then you need to get away from that because it's contrary. You have to examine it for what it is. If it's not biblical, we don't do it. You say, well, I just go through the motions. I show up. I didn't even know we were going to have communion today. You may not have, but I'll just take of the bread. I'll take of the juice and I'll do my thing because I've done it before. If that's all it is to you, don't take it because that's exactly what Paul was saying to the church. It's more than that. This is a beautiful picture and it's such an important picture that God has commanded the church to partake of it. And so we are to seriously examine every aspect of it. And it goes further than that. We're to examine every aspect of us. You say, well, what does it mean to be worthy to take of communion? It doesn't mean you need to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to have all your ducks in a row. It, it, it just simply means this. You need to examine your life to make sure you're intentional. It's intentional. Imagine a parent having a birthday party. And they got the little five-year-old and everybody's gathering together for his birthday. And dad is completely disconnected. He's on his phone. He's doing his thing. And they're like, hey, it's time to sing. And he's like, all right, yeah, um, yeah, let's do it. Happy birthday. And he's doing his thing on his phone. And they're singing the song. But he is in left field. The same way that child would look at the father with disappointment is the way God looks at us when we're nonchalant about reminiscing on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. It is vitally important for the church to take this seriously. Not religiously, not traditionally, seriously. So we stop and we examine ourselves. So the first thing we're to do when it comes to communion is we are to look inward. Is everybody with me? So where are you? Where are you when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ? Examine yourself. The beautiful thing about the relationship with Jesus God wants to keep that relationship strong and he's willing to work through those things immediately. So when we examine ourselves and we see the things in our life that are not right, we immediately bring it before God and let him take care of those things by just repenting, confessing, and giving it to him. It's not like marriage. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you're married, you say, man, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was, shouldn't have done that. Now, there's one or two ways they're going to respond. <laughs> They're going to go, okay, it's okay, I'm okay. 
or they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. And about an hour goes by and say, you cool? No, well, that means they're not. Another hour goes by, another hour goes by, the day goes by, and the next day you're like, are we cool? Is everything good? I mean, I said I was wrong. I know, but it just really hurt me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm not a light switch. I'm just not, here I am. I'm good now. It takes me time. Y'all are thinking it's Brianna, aren't you? It, it, no, I'm just kidding. It's not. But I've seen this so often with people because I've done it myself. Your relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't work that way. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we examine ourselves and we, are, we look inward and we see where those flaws are and those intentional things that we're doing that are contrary to God, we can confess those and just move on. So I'm saying before you take communion in just a minute, take some time right now and examine yourself. Just get it right. You don't have to verbally say it. You can mentally say, God, I am sorry. I want to get this right and be intentional. But it doesn't just stop there. After we look inward, then we are to look backward. And that's when Paul begins to explain exactly the way Jesus handled communion. So he breaks it down and he explains to them that Jesus gave thanks. He broke the bread. He passed it out. They ate it. He took the juice. He prayed over the juice. They, they took of the juice and, and they drank it together. And then at the end, he doesn't say this, but according to God's word in Matthew, we know that they sang a hymn together and then they departed. Now, there's a beautiful pattern to which we are to follow. There's a process. I had somebody just this afternoon tell me, hey, I took communion at a different church. It was so odd. Everything was just, it made no sense. They, they ate the bread and some ate before the others. There was no together this. There was no unity. Then they drank the juice later and the, the, the individual that was leading didn't really understand what they were saying. Listen, that is wrong. Do you follow me? Because Jesus has given us a simplistic pattern to follow. It's not about tradition. It's not about religion. It's about intentionality. It's about following the way he intended us to follow the pattern of communion. I believe it's important, every aspect. And so I want to look at those aspects. Paul refocuses the church by looking back at that night that Jesus brought the communion before the disciples in the Last Supper. And he said this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to understand from here on out, when you have this time of communion, that you're remembering what it's truly about. And so now we years and years later, over 2000 years later, we look back at the way Jesus handled communion. Now, over those years, over those 2000 years, people messed it up. For a matter of fact, there's a period of time that the Roman Catholics understood the way communion was meant to be, and then they distorted it and changed it. Uh, transubstantiation is what it's called when they look at communion and say the very pieces that I'm about to consume are going to become the body of Christ within me. That's called cannibalism. That is not scriptural. That is contrary to scripture. That is not true. See, Jesus, when he stood before the disciples and said, this is my body given for you, he was standing before them. So obviously, it wasn't literally his body. It doesn't have this magical power. It's a beautiful picture, and that is it. And it is our outward showing or reverence, honor to God, Son, Jesus, for giving his life for us on the cross. And it's interesting. There's this consubstantiation, this idea that Luther 
came up with, his, Martin Luther the Reformer, he said, it is Jesus in and around the communion that makes communion what it is. Now, not literally transforming into the body of Christ, but he's still contrary to Scripture. Regardless of his brilliance and what he's offered the church was amazing, but he's wrong, okay? It doesn't work that way. So how does it work? Well, let's just stick with Jesus, the one that came up and created the whole concept of communion. Let's step back in time. Are you all ready? Let's use our imagination for just a minute, if you still have one. And let's go back 2,000 years ago. Open your mind, open your heart, and here we go. Jesus is in the upper room. He's with the 12 disciples. He washes their feet as they walk into the room one by one. Even Judas himself, he washed his feet. They gathered around the table, often sitting on their knees, no chairs. They begin to have this intimate time, this beautiful feast. No other church members. Jesus just wanted these guys to come together. No other family members, no other people of the faith, no other disciples outside of the twelve. This was their time. And because this was such an intimate time, Jesus takes the bread and he begins to explain, according to Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. But he was very intentional about the bread. It wasn't just like, hey, I got an idea. Let's try this. No. So you see, the bread, the making of it, represents symbolically the sinlessness of Jesus. See, the bread is unleavened. Leaven causes the bread to swell up. But this bread was not like that at all because that represented pride and arrogancy and sin. This bread was unleavened. It was flat. There was nothing special or unique about it. It was simple. But the texture of the bread was very important as well because it had all these rivets and holes and grooves and it was just an ugly piece of bread. Nothing like you would see at Panera, some beautiful loaf. No, it wasn't that at all because it also represented the body of Jesus and the crucifixion and how the stripes would be laid upon his back. And then the breaking of the bread. The breaking of the bread was symbolic of the death of Jesus. And Jesus wanted to illustrate to his, his men as he tore that bread, my body will be broken for you. Not the bones of my body. Not one bone of Jesus' body was ever broken. They were all pulled out of joint according to, to the book of Psalms, but we know not one bone was broken in his body. And then he passed the bread out. That was not by chance either. Jesus passed the bread out. You know why Jesus did that? Because this is my body given for you. If we are willing to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God hath raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved because it's a free gift. Anybody can receive it. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a works. It was a gift. It was given for us. That's a beautiful picture. Very intentional picture that Jesus was laying before them. And then the eating of the bread was symbolic of the indwelling of the Spirit. It wasn't literally the body of Christ. As I said a moment ago, this, this cannibalism mentality. No, it wasn't that at all. This was a beautiful picture when we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
that he lived, he died, and he rose again, and we put our faith and trust in him. At that moment, are you all following me? At that moment, by faith, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and everything changes. So we don't just pick up the bread and look at the bread. We consume it. We eat it because it's symbolic and a picture of the indwelling. That is not by chance. This is by design. And so as we take of the communion together, it is important for us to understand every step that Jesus laid before us and how intentionally he was about it. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I abide in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling. If there is no root, there is no fruit. So at this time, I want you to intentionally look within. And as we look back, and you look in, we're going to take of this communion together. So I'm going to have Chad and James come, and I'm going to have them pass out the bread at this time. And as they pass the bread out, I want you to take some time and pray. Chad, if you'll come this way. And examine yourself and make sure you are where you need to be as the men pass the bread out. Matthew 26, chapter 26, we see the account of Jesus and His disciples. And as He spoke to them, the Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I am... I don't want to get in a habit of going through the motions of just taking communion because that's what we do. I want to do it intentionally. I want my heart to be right. And I pray, Lord, as a church that we'll always keep the focus right. Be intentional 
So God, as we continue with this communion, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to remember the sacrificial death of your, your son Jesus. And also, not just that, but Lord, help us to really dig deep and examine ourselves that there will be nothing between us and you. In Jesus' name. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 27, And he took the cup, which is the juice, and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Here's the thing that's interesting and so often forgotten. The juice and the color of it represents the blood of Jesus. That's intentional. 1 Peter 1.19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. That was Jesus. We're not talking about, and I'm, I'm going to get sensitive here. I believe that the wine was pure. I don't believe the wine that represented the Son of God was impure. I believe it was fresh. Fresh juice off the vine. Some would debate on that. But I do know this. Paul wasn't happy with the church when they were coming together taking wine that would cause them to get drunk. He said, this is not the way we do it. So we're very intentional with what we use at this time of communion. And by the way, communion is for every child of God. Those that have trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, if they're a child and they're seven, eight, nine years old, and we tell that child, you can't take of communion because this is something you're not allowed to at your age, then that right there will tell me that we're doing something wrong. No, every child of God that's a believer should be able to take of communion. Everybody understand? Yeah. So, well, it's a little cup, so it really wouldn't have mattered. I mean, it's just a little. It wasn't a little then. It was a feast. We may not feast the same way. Ours is a small feast. And that's why I think it's important for you to understand when it comes to the color of the juice. It's important because the Bible speaks in Proverbs about the coloring and how it changes and becomes potent. And the Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and warns against that. So I believe and I know God doesn't contradict himself when it comes to scripture. And I hope you can follow me on that. And then the pouring of the juice is symbolic to the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 34, but one of the soldiers at the end of Jesus' crucifixion, took the spear, shoved it in the side of Jesus instead of breaking his legs because it was prophesied that not one bone would be broken. Now the, those that were on the left and the right, the, the, the thieves, their legs were broken and so they couldn't hold or pull themselves up to get a breath. But Jesus, it wasn't that at all. For a matter of fact, Jesus bowed his head and he was already passed away and he gave up the ghost. There's that word gave again. He chose to die. Nobody takes the life of Jesus Christ. Nobody takes the life of God's Son. He gave it. And they took that spear and he shoved it in his side to be sure that he was dead. The Bible said that blood and water poured out from his side. It's believed by doctors that was because he had a ruptured heart. Some say it beautifully like this, he died of a broken heart. I believe it's true. Because when somebody has a ruptured heart, it's mixed with blood and water. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus. And very, very uh, literal, not just symbolic. So Jesus with his disciples emphasizes this beautiful picture of, of his blood in the symbolic picture 
of the juice. He says to his disciples, as often as you do this, I want you to do this specifically in remembrance of me. And so we, together, will do that. Gentlemen, would you pass the juice? took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sin Heavenly Father as we begin to close out this service I pray Lord that we'll just keep on focusing where the focus needs to be Help us to get our mind off of where we're at in life and the discouragements and the frustration. Help us always remember what life is truly about. The future, heaven, and not now. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a third. When it comes to looking at communion God's way, we don't just look inward. We don't just look backward. We look forward. 1 Corinthians 11.26 for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He comes. We keep on keeping on. We look forward by continuing in, in this communion and time that we have together. That's why the Bible says, often as ye eat. Paul explains that this is important to continue. Y'all follow me? Taking communion until Jesus comes or we die. We don't stop. But it's important to also understand that it doesn't tell us how often to do it. It's just as often as you do it. We just need to do it. Some people say we, have, we should have communion every Sunday. That doesn't mean that's biblical. That's just a preference. We have communion quarterly at Thrive Church. Because at those certain periods and seasons of time, I feel like it's easy for us to slip and forget. We're very intentional about that. 
because it's not a tradition to us. It's intentional to us. Not just that, but Paul makes it very clear. We look forward by reminding ourselves, remembering what Jesus did then, but what He's going to do in the future. Don't forget, in other words, this isn't it. He is coming back. He will be coming back. And when Jesus comes back, and according to this passage of Scripture, till He comes, we keep on remembering what He did and what He's going to do. That's looking to the future. Don't get comfortable. Don't you get comfortable because this world's not our home. We're just passing through. The Bible says we're in the world but not of the world. And when you get comfortable, you will tend to forget what Jesus did and what He is going to do. And that is to come again. So you press on. We look inward. We look backward. We look forward. And I'll tell you, if you're not careful you'll have a tendency to forget this is all about outward. See, this is an expression of our faith in Christ. There's a big glass window right there, and a lot of people just watch you take communion. Some know what we're doing and some don't. But the reality is this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11.26, we show the Lord's death till He comes. The word show means proclaim, announce. That's why it's outward. It's not a statue. It's not marble. It's not brass. It's not a memorial like that at all. Jesus' only request was for bread and juice to be His memorial and for us to take it outwardly to proclaim it. Does everybody understand? Isn't that powerful? 